to make this happen and make it work. It was decided to run it in like a one-year bootcamp, if you like, accelerated learning. We run three sessions, not semesters. The sessions are not even in length. The students come in Monday to Friday, nine to five. Okay, there we've broken three rules already. So you can imagine with the university administration, they were sort of like, oh my God, what is this? It doesn't fit into any of our boxes. But you know, that's the, that's the value in, in what we do. Hello and welcome to the UIN Future of Universities podcast series. My name is Baljano Razbaeva, Manager Strategic Initiatives at UIN, and I'm your host for today. For today's discussion, we have invited Ian Thompson, head of the World Leading Animation and Visualization School, UTS Animal Logic Academy, to talk about how they have created a groundbreaking model, providing their students with an opportunity to directly develop critical industry-focused professional skills. We hope you will enjoy this discussion. Very much looking forward to discussing with you some burning questions for a university community. And maybe before we will kick this off, I can ask if you could perhaps tell us a little bit more about the uh, Animal Logic Academy itself, its mission and its vision, its history, I guess, more than anything. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Always happy to share our experience from the UTS Animal Logic Academy. It's a strange name, you know, um, it, the interesting thing is people that don't come from the animation and visual, visual effects industry often think we run a master's course in veterinary psychology or, or something similar. <laughs> but of course, Animalogic is probably Australia's leading 3D animation studio. 32 years, I think, they've been going now, Animalogic, and particularly the last few years, they've really sort of gained a presence on the global stage. You know, they did the production on the first Happy Feet movie, and they worked on The Matrix, developed the green code. Well, well the Lego movies probably um, most famously, most recently, but the last couple of years, they've been focusing on their own productions. You know, Peter Rabbit, for example, the two Peter Rabbit movies are, are sole animal logic productions. And the interesting thing is that the animation and visual effects industries are really booming all around the world. Australia was in a unique position probably 30 years ago that we have a, a strong culture of animation in this country, but there was a feeling that we would lose out to the, the, the cheaper labor force in other countries. And it was really when Hollywood discovered that there's fantastic creative talent down here. And there was also a feeling that here in Australia, there is an opportunity to develop a higher quality homegrown talent that can not only serve our growing domestic market, but the international market. And that's really where the idea for the UTS Animal Logic Academy was born. Um, Zare um, approached the then uh, Vice Chancellor of the University, Attila Bronx, and said, look, this is huge in Australia at the moment. It's growing quickly. We need the educational sector support. And um, Attila, as the vice chancellor of the University of Technology, <laughs> the sort of the perfect fit, really, to sort of say, yes, we'll, we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. Um, and we'll help set up this academy to develop higher quality graduates to industry. Um, and that's, that's where the idea for the academy was born. I wasn't actually there at the inception. I was I was working overseas at the time. Um, other people were involved in that, but um, I've been running the academy for the last uh, three years. But it's been uh, it's a, you know 
uh, very exciting and it's a, a very exciting um, phase at the moment because we have so many international production companies coming and settling in Sydney who are hungry for graduates. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting to hear how, uh, I guess, the notion around creating those talent pipelines really came about. And that was sort of like a perfect marriage that has happened between Animal Logic as well as at UTS being there at the right time, right place. I guess my main question uh, would be here is what would be the main challenges in your opinion uh, that could be associated with setting up such very complex uh, creature, I would say, that basically was initiated by industry, brought into the university, and now serves for the purpose of education, but also creating this uh, highly um, demanded uh, talent for the industry. I think one of the biggest challenges is to develop a model that breaks all of the rules. I think this was incredibly challenging for those people who were involved in setting up the academy because industry had a very strong voice in letting the university know what type of graduates it needed. And one of the problems that they had was a lot of the graduates coming through the undergraduate colleges and courses. Yes, they had a certain degree of technical skill, but they were very used to working um, in short periods and usually individually or in very, very small groups. So industry was finding that they're not really prepared to work on large collaborative projects and to let go of things like ego. You know, it's like, oh, this is my project, my film, I'm making it. Well, you know, today you'll be on a Marvel film and tomorrow you'll be on a, another feature because we need the talent to flow to, onto that production. So it was really the soft skills that industry wanted they wanted graduates that could hit the ground running, that knew how to work as part of a large collaborative team, that had good communication skills, that could take constructive feedback. And this was one of the ideas to set it up as a master's course rather than an undergraduate course. Say, we understand that the students coming in will have a fairly developed level of skill. Um, now, how do we teach them to become professionals? Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that was through project-based learning. So. We sometimes joke, we don't teach them anything. <laughs> uh, we don't run lectures and tutorials. They sign up for a studio experience. It's like having your first year in industry. And uh, the students develop and produce a 3D animated short film in the space of a year to studio level uh, production values. And why I mentioned it breaks all the rules. I mean, project-based learning has been around for a while, but to make this happen and make it work, it was decided to run it in like a one-year boot camp, if you like, accelerated learning. We run three sessions, not semesters. The sessions are not even in length. The students come in Monday to Friday, nine to five. Okay, there, we've broken three rules already. So you can imagine with the university administration they were sort of like oh my god what is this it doesn't fit into any of our boxes <laughs> but you know that's the that's the value in in what we do we don't do things the old way <laughs> or the traditional university way uh, we do things uh, very much focused on the way industry would like things to be taught with the outcomes that industry is very keen on and the the, the, the benefit of that is that you know, industry gets graduates that they say are useful from day one. They were telling us that it was taking six months to a year to train up graduates to be really useful in their studios and their businesses. Whereas our graduates are very popular because even though they're starting as juniors, they're, they're advanced juniors, they move up to mid-level mid stuff very, very quickly. 
fascinating. I, uh, I'm wondering what the regular day of a master student would look like in the academy, because uh, it, it really sounds like they are actually going for work every day. Yeah, they, they are absolutely coming to work. One of the things we do in terms of treating it like a job, we're quite strict with ensuring the students are here from nine until five. Certainly Monday to Thursday, Friday is a self-directed learning day, which I can talk about a little bit later, but it is a bit of a culture shock for students coming from other courses and universities because they're used to rocking up to a lecture or a tutorial. It doesn't matter if you're half an hour late. And we are quite strict. We're always saying this is about preparing you for industry. If you start a job and you turn up an hour late, you know, that's, you're probably not going to keep the job. <laughs> so we try to get that discipline happening. And once they get into the rhythm of it, sometimes it's a letting go of old habits, but it, it works very, very effectively. And a typical day is really, really like a day in uh, an animation production studio where they will come in in the morning, dailies will be run so that the students are sorted into um, their various departments or teams. So we don't teach everybody everything. Those departments have specific leads who are the teachers as such, but you know we call them leads or mentors. And they, um, they, they run dailies in the morning and they review the work uh, and then the students progress that work themselves. And then usually in the afternoons, there'll be desk rounds. So it's, it's run very, very much as a, a studio. And then we're lucky enough through our industry partnerships with Animal Logic, but also with other companies like Flying Bark and ILM, uh, we bring in industry speakers to run masterclasses and any, any gaps we see, we run specialization workshops. So that's, that's pretty much the way a typical day would look. Very interesting. Um, I'm also now wondering what the, uh, you know, typical faculty look like. Is it indeed the case that uh, the students are being mentored by this mix of professionals that work for university, but also directly come from industry? Yeah, it is a mix. And I think this is where the value of the collaboration really comes to fruition. This is a relatively young industry, so there are not a lot of established academics or, or academic careers in this area. It's important for us because we run the, the course as a studio and it's very production focused, it's project focused, that we really need the experience of experienced leads from industry. So our main leads generally come from industry with quite a lot of serious experience working on high-end productions. To complement that, we have um, a course director and myself that have a more of an academic background, or, or mine is more mixed. But what we're able to do is then sort of apply that industry knowledge to some sort of academic principles. So it's almost like academically, we, we acknowledge um, that these many years of industry experience are often the equivalent to a certain uh, academic credential or, or experience. And I think the academics we work with love feeling that vibrancy and vitality and currency um, that this relationship with industry brings. And on that, maybe now that we're talking about how this uh, learning happens, having both industry, but also a bit of an academic perspective on that as well. 
you already mentioned uh, project-based learning, which of course is the foundation and the core, but is there anything else in terms of innovative teaching methodologies that you would be utilizing? You mentioned workshops, so perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, the project-based learning is, is just fantastic because one of the biggest challenges that our students face is suddenly having to work together as part of a team of 40 artists on a project. They're not used to that. Um, and there are issues initially, but I think one of the important driving factors with project-based learning is that once the students see what they can produce together, and that it is far in excess of what they could achieve alone, the quality of that product becomes such a motivating factor that they overcome a lot of those heathen issues around collaboration and communication. It becomes a real driving force in their educational experience that, and they all start to want to work together to achieve the quality of outcome, you know, a studio level short film on your reel as a graduating university student is, is, is just fantastic. And so that becomes a unifying factor and also a motivating factor for the students. But um, the other important aspect of the, of the teaching and learning, and I probably wouldn't say it's innovative because there's nothing new about um, self-directed and reflective learning, but we find it a very, very valuable experience for the students. I mean, number one, probably because we're a master's course and, you know, at AQF level nine, you know, it's important that students learn not only to do things, but to criti critically reflect uh, and analyze things, to synthesize, to make things, but also to understand how, um, how these things uh, function and their meaning in the world. So we introduced, um, we call a self-directed learning Friday. And this is interesting too, because, you know, often in the workplace, you sort of think the value of somebody is putting them on a box and getting them to work, you know, 40 hours a week. But um, the value that you unlock in encouraging these people to start to think critically, solve problems um, by themselves or with peer support makes them ultimately very potent in the workplace and adds the potential for innovation and problem solving to the organizations that they enter. So um, it's I find that this is a really, really re rewarding part of the teaching and learning, uh, where in the first session, we do some proficiency tests with the students and we get them to identify where their knowledge and skills gaps are. They self-identify these and then they design their own learning plan. So you're building the, that really strong foundation for initiative problem solving. We step them through a, a number of uh, uh, processes as well to um, make them realize that the, the first approach to solving a problem is to do and conduct your own research. If you can't get further, then mine that peer-to-peer -peer support before you come to the lead or the teacher and say, what's the answer to this? And we encourage our teaching staff also to rather than give them an answer, help them mentor them through what the next step of their own investigation would be. And this is the sort of quality that industry loves. If you can produce graduates that are self-motivated in terms of problem solving, 
resourceful. Um, they, you know, we get fantastic feedback from industry, particularly around those qualities. And they're the qualities that are going to lead to someone accelerating through their career much more quickly. I was wondering about the uh, learning validation. So what is it that uh, in the end would qualify a student to become a master's in you know, animation, for example? The quality of the, the work, obviously, that's the validation. You know, we were a couple of years ago, we were ranked in the top 10 schools in the world for 3D production excellence. There's validation in that. Obviously, the validation we get from industry and the, and the graduates get from industry is important as well. But it is interesting that in the original design of the course, we didn't have marks or grades. We had a satisfactory or resubmit grade. So industry reflected to us, they don't, they're not that interested if someone's got a distinction or a high distinction or a credit or a high distinction. They want to know that these graduates can do the thing that we have promised they will be able to do and that they will be asked to do. And there wasn't a fail grade, there was a resubmit grade. So industry also said to us, look, if someone fails, you haven't done your job <laughs> as educators. We want you to ensure that everyone coming out of your course can do what we want them to do. And you have promised they will be able to do. And you promised us they will be able to do. We have just moved to a grades no mark system, not because that system wasn't working well, but we've had to fit into the university as a whole. So this is one of the compromises that's made working with an academic institution. But I think there's a lot of validation in that process, in actually guaranteeing the students themselves and industry that all of them can meet the minimum learning requirements. And they find that validation in industry when they get out there. And that's reflected uh, very strongly to us, not only from the experience of our alumni, but from our industry partners as well. But it sounds like also as a wonderful philosophy, I guess, to base on the, the whole learning experience because everyone has, gets an equal chance to learn and also to prove themselves. So it uh, sounds like a very fitting scenario, I think, both for industry as well as for students. And it's, it's great to hear how you manage to sort of compromise with the system and also make the university happy along the way. I also remember now, Ian, that you and I once discussed how you also sometimes work with researchers uh, from the university. Is this still the case? Because I remember I also thought that was a very interesting aspect of how academy actually also serves the, let's say, research purposes as well, or like providing that space for the uh, academic researchers coming on board. Yes, the academy also has a small research team. It's led by our course director, Professor Andrew Johnston. I'm always looking for interested PhD candidates uh, with interesting topics. We have about 10 at the moment. We like to encourage as much interaction as we can. So our, our researchers present to our master's students. We've had master's students that have gone on to do research projects. In the middle of our master's course, we run an emerging visualization technologies project. So even though the fo focus is around the 3D animated film, they drop tools in this second subject and they research emerging visualization technologies and have to develop creative project ideas from those emerging technologies. And there's been some fascinating projects that could certainly move into the research space 
every time we run that session, that um, Emerging Visualization Technologies project, there, there are probably five or six fantastic projects that could uh, definitely be taken into the research space. The, what I also find very interesting is that many of your students actually then choose to pursue this research career. I mean, some go to the industry, of course, but some actually stick to this uh, academic pathway of, I guess, uh, dedicated to research and development in the area as well. Yeah, really only only a few. I think what is more typical is that our master's students generally will go to industry, but you'll find that a couple of years down the track, some of them will come back. Um, so our researchers are, are, you have usually been working in industry or in the sort of art visualization space and come come to us then. Um, but I guess that's the, the there's a narrative around that around uh, this whole idea of lifelong learning, you know, and this relationship that you have to learning and education and and hopefully you know us at UTS and the Animal Logic we can be an ongoing partner for people uh, within that sort of context. Yeah, the role of alumni, I guess, is being redefined a little bit in this whole lifelong learning uh, sphere is that uh, the, they actually come back often, indeed, for either research career or actually uh, gaining a role in the faculty. So very interesting to hear how this narrative fits in, in the Animal Logic Academy as well. And I have, of course, a few more questions that I would like to ask you, Ian. <laughs> we have heard from you how the academy was created, how the learning looks like for students, what kind of instruments you're utilizing. And it's a very unique model. We haven't seen, I guess, a model like that anywhere where industry would come to university in the first place, actually willing to create this wonderful talent pipeline then back to the industry. So my question would be, would you have any advice that you can address to other universities who would be willing to replicate or create similar educational work-based learning at their universities and how they should go about their partnerships with industry to make that happen? Experience based on our experience is really a very valuable one, but it does take quite a commitment. It takes a commitment from the university to really believe in the value of this type of partnership and this type of learning. So I don't think the model would have worked if the university had tried to co-design this with our industry partner and press it into the existing university systems, you know. If this was a master course that the students would come three times a week for a three-hour class or you know a lecture and then a tutorial and it just wouldn't work and of course it has required quite a financial commitment from the university that had to really believe in it now that we have 40 plus students operationally we're in the in in the right zone <laughs> we're in the right color but those first few years we're building up traction that's hard for a university especially in in times like uh, through covid and when you've got other courses where you can put 200 paying students into a lecture theater and run tutorials so it's a completely different model. So yeah, the university needs to have that commitment. And I, and I think the value for, for universities is looking at a broad sort of selection of courses and types of courses. I think the future of learning, particularly for the university sector, isn't just about one type of learning experience. It's about different courses, different ways of learning for different types of learners, different types of audiences. Certainly a whole university could probably not be based on the sort of model that we run, but we offer a wonderful choice 
for students. We offer an alternative for the university. And I think there's real value in that. You know, often the value proposition around the academy isn't just around the P&L. Um, it's about, you know, we've, in a short period of time, we've managed to become a world, a world leader in, a, in this area. The students can produce something to a much higher level together than they can alone. So these films win awards at Sydney Film Festival, at international fest festivals around the world. You know, this is very prestigious for the university. It's very visible as well. It makes the university very, very visible. So I think the value proposition for, for the university becomes more around brand, visibility. And I think for us, we sit in the Faculty of Engineering and IT. I think it's great that we have such highly visible creative outcomes. Faculties, universities and certain schools that are very research focused and um, the outcomes are highly valuable but often not very visible or transparent to other stakeholders, whereas we have highly visible, <laughs> um, beautiful, creative outcomes, you know, and I think that's particularly we sit in the you know, Faculty of Engineering and IT, that's a nice complement to the other fantastic work that's being done in the computer science space, in the data and analytics space, in the, that whole area. So that would be my recommendation to universities is um, commit to it, there's great value in it. Listen to the industry partners, but also keep that relationship in balance. You know, as I said, there's great value in the, the, the coexistence. Yes, that would be my recommendation. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We actually have received a few questions from the audience, which is great. Uh, so I would like to take the first one. And speaking about the outcomes, maybe we can touch upon the employability as well. Yeah, we have very high employment ratings. So usually it's in excess of 90% of the students get work within six months in industry. So I think that's proof of the, the quality of the course. What about the employability when you are so specialized and trained within one specific field? Well, actually, that's the key to the employability because it is a very niche course. It's a small-ish industry, but that doesn't mean that those graduates are not highly employable. I mean, yes, we're not producing 200 students a year, we're producing 40. We're preparing specialized students for a specialized industry. But one of the keys to our graduate success is that we take students from generalists to specialists. So a lot of the undergraduate animation courses, the students will be generalists. They'll be able to do a little bit of everything. That's not the roles that are available for juniors in industry. Hard to get a job as a junior generalist in the 3D animation or visual effects industry. Much easier to get a job as a junior animator or a junior lighting artist or a junior compositor or a junior modeler. And that's exactly what we do. So it's actually, actually the specificity that enhances these um, students' employability because we're focused very much on what those entry-level roles will be in the industry. So um, I think that's one of the keys to the success of the, of the course. Just to follow up on that, because there is a second part to this question as well, it doesn't mean, though, that all students are guaranteed a job in the field. So it's not part of the deal that uh, you have with your industry partners. You educate, you prepare them, and then off they go uh, looking for jobs and getting the jobs themselves. Is that correct? That's correct. And actually, it's, that's also important in the partnership is that um, although we are co-designed with Animal Logic, 
we are 100% owned and run by the University of Technology. And it's actually important to have that a little bit of autonomy. Like we don't, Animal Logic doesn't have a graduate placement program linked to the academy because it's important that we also get stakeholder engagement from the other studios. And I think if Animal Logic owned or co-owned it, or there was a more formal sort of agreement that would undermine the relationship that we can build with those other industry players. So no, Animal Logic has to compete for our very talented graduates along with everyone else. And I can tell you as well, some years they've been a little slower and some of the pick of the crop have gone to other studios. So yeah, that independence has been also an important part of the the model. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have an interesting set of questions, more so related, I guess, to some of the uh, learning methodologies. So I will start with the first one. So what theoretical approaches to critical reflection do you teach? Uh, do you have a favorite framework uh, that you utilize? I would come back to um, the model that I described around self-directed learning, self-identification, really sort of empowering the student to identify, develop an action plan and reflect on outcomes rather than presenting formal models that they then would adhere to. We, we tend to be great believers in, in self-empowerment and self-motivation and self-determination. I mean, a lot of, a lot of what the, work, the students do during the year is, is quite practical, you know, quite hands-on, but we have consciously thought about how we differentiate ourselves from, from a vocational experience or, you know, even a master's experience that's primarily practical. And that comes back to those communication skills soft skills, self-management skills, mm -hmm. and then that ability to reflect, analyze, and then project and plan and solve problems. Mm -hmm. On that, actually, there is a question uh, related to soft skills. So speaking about soft skills or transversal skills, our attendees wondering what would be the hardest to instill in students apart from functionality that you mentioned at the start, I believe. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I can tell you what <laughs> what usually the challenges are in the first studio. Letting go of ego is a big one. Mm -hmm. The whole idea that this is my work, my project, my thing. Don't look at what I'm doing. I don't want to share. Uh, we actually do an agility exercise at the beginning of the year where we put them in small groups and give them a bucket of Lego. And each team has a, a task to build either a robot or an animal or a creature or a spaceship. And then the, sm the small teams, they get very engaged in the project and they start developing an idea and a concept and they're building these beautiful things. And halfway through the project, without the students knowing, we swap teams. And so we have a lot of moaning and groaning and it's like, oh no, this is our thing that we're building and we've got a concept already. And we're really training them that in the industry, they might be working on one particular production one day, and then the next day they'll be required to work on another production. So they've got to drop tools in that production and change their thinking very, very quickly and adapt to that new project. So it's interesting. There are there are moans and groans, but um, they actually have a lot of fun with the challenge. And the interesting thing is the outcomes are quite unexpected. You know, you're starting to tap into that sort of area of innovation where things start, if you look at things through a different lens, 
um, or you flip the stereotype on its head or you, you take a twist, you start to develop things that are, are more uh, unexpected and possibly more innovative. So um, that's that's the that's probably the big one, letting go of ego. And the other the other one is um, communication skills. I don't know, you know, I'm probably sounding very middle aged if I talk about it being a generational <laughs> a generational challenge. But you know, these are often these are students, you know, that have um, they tend to be a little introverted. They have highly developed technical skills. Often they've been at home in their bedrooms since eleven or twelve you know, working on Maya or on Houdini, becoming highly specialized. Um, and, and, and COVID as well, the last few years, there's been a lot of work in isolation and remotely. So coming together as a group and communicating with each other, but also about projects, the process of offering and hearing critique is often challenging, you know, not taking it personally. So we do a lot of training around that. And even within the story development phase, we do a lot, a lot, a lot of story iteration. And what we do with the, every step of iteration, we change the teams. We're getting to take ideas from each other and give them to other people. And then, and so they get used to that very, very early on. And um, there is a, a lot of pain in letting go initially, but after they understand the principle and get some experience with it, then they start to embrace it and they see that through those sorts of processes, they can cannot come up with something that's far beyond what any one of them individually could develop. Wonderful. Um, I learned a lot today. <laughs> I especially found very fascinating, really, how you work with students, really, how you create those experiences for them so that indeed those, you know, not only hard skills, but also transversal skills can be instilled in them, that they are really prepared for the next step then after graduation. Very, very insightful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very sure that our audience has uh, enjoyed it uh, as well. I'm looking forward to staying in touch and learning more about the successes of uh, UTS Animal Logic Academy. So thanks so much again. And for our audience, also thank you for joining us. And I also would like to remind you all that we have a packed agenda of uh, other interesting events uh, and conversations coming up uh, in, in the next few months. And of course, our conference, which is highlight of the year. So would be great to see you in Budapest in May. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's discussion. Stay tuned for the next episode of the UIN Future of Universities podcast series. Don't forget to follow UIN on LinkedIn and register for our newsletter at uin.org to stay up to date with the latest research insights, events, and more.